stand please as Jana reads our scripture for us this morning. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are the highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel sent to, said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have, favor, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. So no word from God will never fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word from from the Lord, from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Amen. Thanks. You may be seated. Well, we are right in the middle of this season that we call Advent. And Advent is a word that simply means arrival. It means for us that the Messiah has already arrived. He's come. He's been present with us. And through the Holy Spirit, he continues to be present with us. And, and so when we celebrate Advent, it, it signals for us this time in the church calendar year where we shift our focus. And we shift our focus away, hopefully, from things that are more self-centered or things that, that are, are constantly... Uh, frustrating us or stressing us out or discouraging us when we look around our lives or our culture or our world and we shift our focus to things that only God can provide hope love joy peace and when we come to Christmas Eve and we'll light this center candle we're reminded of what God has already provided for us that no other means can provide our salvation in Jesus Christ. And so Advent, the purpose of this season, when we think about hope, love, joy, and peace, is to keep Christ at the center. And so I want to continue to encourage us and challenge us in these next few days as we come towards Christmas to not just focus on one night or one day, but let this whole season continue to develop for you a rhythm that, that starts with your time with the Lord every single day, where you think about hope, joy, love, and peace with Christ at the center of your life, Christ at the center of your family, 
Christ at the center of every goal that you set for every single day so that this season will be one of deep meaning. And when we come to Christmas, you won't find yourself unprepared and you won't be so distracted by all the other things that Christmas is not about. But at the center of everything, Christ will already be there. It's not too late. We're in the middle of the Advent season. So today, even today, let Christ be the center of your heart and life in these days that follow. During Advent, we're also talking about this idea that heaven came down. And we're looking at those times in the Advent story, the first Advent season, when heaven came down to human beings as God spoke miraculously to people. And we've already seen him do that with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And last week, we looked at the angel's dream pronouncement to Joseph. And today, we come back to Luke chapter 1, and we start talking more about the Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the moment when heaven came down to her and the angel Gabriel, the very busy angel during that first Advent season, spoke directly to her. It is in Luke chapter 1 that we meet Mary, and just as when we met Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, we were told that, Math that Joseph was pledged to be married to Mary. Now we, we see that the, the continuation, Mary is pledged to be married to Joseph. And, and all of these events that happened with Mary, this story that we call the Annunciation, when the angel Gabriel made this incredible announcement and pronouncement to Mary about what was going to happen in the days that would follow, all of this happens in a town called Nazareth. This little insignificant town in the northern part of Israel, a place called Galilee, where, where the, the angel comes to Abriel. And this is so different than what happened earlier on in Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel there came to the temple. And, and that didn't seem probably surprising to the first readers of these stories because that's where God's present wa presence was expected to arrive. And so when Gabriel came to the temple to speak to Zechariah and ultimately to Elizabeth, that, that made sense. But here the angel comes to Mary up north, not in Jerusalem, not even in Judea, in Galilee. And, and Galilee was, was not only the, the home of Nazareth, that little insignificant town of about 500 people or so, but Galilee was also known as Galilee of the nations because it was such a multicultural area. It was such a, pl a place because of its location that, that, yes, you had some Israelites, some Hebrew people living there like Joseph and Mary and their family, but you also had people from all over the known world who made their way to that part of, of Galilee and they lived there and, or, or they stayed there temporarily for a while. And so, so there's a part of this, this Galilee, this Nazareth story that's not just about the words that come from the Old Testament in prophecy about the Jewish people, but also a reminder that the Messiah who's going to come to Nazareth, who's going to be raised there, and the announcement to people like Mary and Joseph who lived in Galilee of the nations, it's a reminder that the good news of the Messiah is not just good news for one person or one type of people or one group of people or even one nation. But the good news of the Messiah is for all the nations. It's a promise that people from every tribe, tongue, every language, every culture will have the opportunity to hear this message about Jesus, to receive this message, to believe in the good news, and to be saved. It's not a coincidence that all of this is happening in a place that, 
represents the nations, Galilee, Nazareth. And I love the way G. Campbell Morgan said it. He's talking about this moment in the first century when the angel came and made this announcement to Mary. He said, think of the world as it then was. Sitting on her seven hills in proud despotism, insolent Rome had bludgeoned a world into submission. But heaven came down. Heaven had something to say. And to say it, heaven passed by the city on the seven hills, which was Rome, and passed Jerusalem and the temple, and came down to a home, not in Judea, but in Galilee of the nations, just as Isaiah had prophesied, to a, a humble home with a humble person who would receive this announcement that, that incredible things were about to happen. History was about to face its most important turning point, and Mary, a virgin named Mary, was about to be a part of it. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. She also was a descendant of David, just as Joseph, and, and we're told here that, that she was a virgin, and that word is repeated for us several times so, so that we'll make the connection not only of the miraculous nature of what's about to happen, but of the scripture that Gabriel's going to quote again in just a moment that, that sets all of this in the promises that God had been making to his people all along. And I want to take just a moment this morning to talk about the virgin birth. Because this is one of the, the parts of the Bible that many people who might call themselves skeptics will say, this is one of the things I can't, I can't reconcile. I, I, don't, I don't understand how this is possible. I don't understand why this is something that you say is, is essential as Christians that you believe. Why is this idea of a, a virgin birth, why does that have to be at the core? Can't that be something where there's a little bit of discussion and debate and dialogue? Why does this have to fall into the area of an essential belief as it has for 2,000 years of church history? Because it's just so hard to fathom. And, and for those who are skeptical about the scripture or maybe they're just on the outside looking in of Christianity, this one just seems hard to stomach and to understand. So, of course, there are those who have said, well, let, let's try to make it an either-or. Let's, let's try to find some way to compromise whether or not we should consider the virgin birth a requirement for what we may say is orthodox right belief in terms of Christian theology. In fact, if you were to go to Google and type in the Hebrew word, so it comes from this prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign and almost every single one of our English translations choose the word virgin in Isaiah's prophecy. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and, and will call him Emmanuel. Just as Gabriel is repeating here in the pronouncement. The Hebrew word here is ha'alma. And, and, and the root word here is just alma, which can mean just something like young woman. If you were to go to Google and type in alma, just put in that word, the very first thing that would pop up, as you might expect, is the Wikipedia entry. Now, I hope I don't have to tell you, but just in case you don't know, Wikipedia is not your most trustworthy source for all information. You know that. But if we're all honest, if we're doing a quick search with our phone, we probably take what Wikipedia says. If we say, uh, you know, I want to know how old somebody was, and we ask, well, 
Well, if we type that in and Wikipedia comes up, we pretty much say, oh, look, they're, they're 67 years old. Or where was this person born? Or what does this word mean? So if you Google Alma and you see the very first thing that comes up in the suggested, suggested box from Wikipedia, here's what the entry will say. Alma is a root word implying the vigor of puberty. It's a Hebrew word for a young woman of childbearing age, and this is straight from Wikipedia. Despite its importance to the account of the virgin birth of Jesus in the Gospels, scholars agree that it has nothing to do with virginity. Now, this is why you can't trust everything you read on the Internet. I don't know who these scholars are, but some of the best Hebrew and Greek scholars, Old Testament and New Testament scholars, they've been dealing with this argument. We're not the first generation to have some questions or to have some folks be skeptical about the virgin birth. This has been studied, it's been dug into, it's been researched literally for centuries. And what Wikipedia doesn't tell you, and what many people will miss here, is that the word in Isaiah is not just Alma, but it's Ha-Alma. And here's a little Hebrew lesson for you this morning, Hebrew 101. Hebrew doesn't have the word the as a separate word. If you're going to put a definite article on something, so if you're, instead of saying a young woman, you're going to say the young woman, you make a compound word. And so what you find in the prophecy of Isaiah is not just some unspecific word for young woman, as if just at some point some young woman somewhere is going to give birth to a child, and, and it may or may not matter. The Hebrew made very specifically here to make this word stand out. And to not just say a woman, but the specific, appointed, singular young woman. And with this definite article applied, it also carries with it that, that idea of purity, which comes with virginity. The, the, the Hebrew here is, is not general like it can be in many other places. It is specific, and the Hebrew people believed this. You can look into writings of the rabbis before Jesus was known to be the Messiah and see that they singled out this verse, and they singled out this word, and they believed this was not just some random woman, and it was not just some young woman, but it was an appointed, specific, young virgin who somewhere along the way was going to be a part of God's bigger story of the Messiah coming to earth. So just in case that skepticism has reached your ears, or you find yourself in a discussion or a debate, and you're tempted to go to Wikipedia for your answer, this has deep meaning. Not only because we're looking back on Isaiah through the lens of the New Testament, but because for centuries, almost 700 years, the people of God were waiting to find out who this specific woman was. And they knew that she was chosen by God. They believed she would be pure. They believed that there was something about her that with God's will was going to set her apart from any other woman who had ever lived. And we find out from Luke and his account of Gabriel's annunciation to Mary that that woman was Mary a pure virgin, who would be the vessel to demonstrate God's physical presence with his people. And that physical presence that was being demonstrated by this miraculous pregnancy would then be displayed most clearly in Jesus Christ. 
Christ was born, we could see, humanity could see tangibly in flesh and blood that God is indeed with us. So when you think about things like the virgin birth, if you struggle with things that are miraculous, you're going to have a lot of issues with the Bible, right? You're going to have to cut out a lot of pages of the Bible if miracles and divine interventions from God to, to humanity are a struggle for you. This was a part of the miraculous, the divinely ordained, and also that which God promised from the beginning. So we don't forget what's at the heart of the Advent story and what was at the heart of the message that Gabriel announced both to Mary and to Joseph is that his name will be called Emmanuel, which means the God who is with us. This was the moment when heaven came down to Mary. And it was more than just an announcement about her divine pregnancy, but it was a prophecy about the incarnation. When, when the word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. And, and the, the, the greeting, the moment when heaven came down and, and the angel Gabriel actually spoke to Mary, he began by addressing her in a very unique way. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Nowhere else in these stories does Gabriel show this sort of, of reverence towards another human being. He speaks to everybody else, and he says, do not be afraid. He gives them the good news, but he gives Mary this unbelievable title. What the NIV uses five words to say, you who are highly favored, it's just one word in Greek, keikeratomene. And at the heart of that word is charis, which is the word grace. That's what this is about. This is God's grace being demonstrated fully through this wonderful, blessed favored chosen woman who is now a part of this story where 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 she is 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 being demonstrated as a woman of authentic faith authentic humility and the recipient of god's promises no one is more surprised by this announcement than than mary she she is greatly troubled she wonders just from the very outset what kind of greeting might this be but the angel continues you will conceive, and you will give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. And, and then Gabriel makes five declarations about who this child Jesus would be. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. All the promises that were made to God's people are going to be fulfilled through him. And his kingdom will never, ever end. As one ancient Christian said it, he who the world cannot contain shall be contained within your womb. And we might be tempted to think, when we read stories about people like Mary and Joseph and Zachariah, we might be tempted to think, well, they had it easier in terms of understanding God's will because angels spoke to them, right? I mean, that would, that would certainly sometimes, at least we think in our minds, make it easier if rather than having to always search and seek out God's will and wrestle with it, if he just send old Gabriel down 
to talk to me or Michael or one of the angels to just spell it out like he did for ancient people. Boy, that would sure make my decision a lot easier. We may be tempted to think that, but again, look at the way this went down. Mary is troubled. She doesn't know what kind of, of greeting this might be. And then Mary asks a question, which is more than just a biological question. This is a question about her social relationship with her husband and her family and her community. And, and it's a, a question about shame. And it's a question about righteousness because she had been pure and because she intended to stay pure until she was married. And Mary asks, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Zechariah, too, he, he received this pronouncement from an angel, but he, too, asked the question, how is this possible? This doesn't make sense. Now, of course, we remember from Zechariah's story, he was struck mute because of his question. Mary asks her question, and nothing happens. It doesn't seem fair. But I think what, what's underneath that, it's not so much the question, but it's about belief, and it's about response. Surely they, they both fairly rightly could ask the angel gabriel what are you sure how's this going to happen but but zachariah seemed to need some convincing and so he got you know about nine months of convincing to get to think about it and decide how he was really going to respond mary doesn't need convincing she's troubled she asks a fair question but her response as we see in this story is one of absolute surrender and faith to say, yes, because the Lord has said it, I believe it. And yes, because the Lord has commanded it, I will do it. And Gabriel explains, this is how it's all going to happen. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That, that word that's used there is the same word that's used back in the Old Testament when the presence of God filled the temple in Jerusalem. It's the same exact word. The, the very presence of God is going to fill you up. He who the world cannot contain is going to be contained in your womb. And so the, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I love some of these descriptions of Mary that have been used throughout the, year, the years. Mary is a sanctified temple. Mary is a living sanctuary for the Lord. Mary is a bridal chamber created by God. And in terms of her purity and her virginity, St. Augustine said it best, the conception of Christ did not take away Mary's virginity, but instead God preserved her virginity and made it even more beautiful and pleasing to him. And her response her response of obedience. I am the Lord's servant, she said. May your word to me be fulfilled. There are shades in, in what Mary says here of what Jesus will say 30 plus years later in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. May your word be fulfilled to me. And then the angel left her. This was the moment, this was the time when, when heaven came down, the angel spoke to Mary, and her response was one of absolute surrender. And the next time then we see Mary, after Gabriel's annunciation, is when she visits her cousin, 
her relative Elizabeth, who had received that first pronouncement in the book of Luke, that first promise about the, the miraculous pregnancy that they would have. Let's just read a little bit further into Luke chapter 1, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready, and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home, and she greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. Do you love that part of the story? And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, my baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. As we think about the, the interconnectedness of the Advent story, the interconnectedness of all of God's promises, but I also just love the interconnectedness of all of these people to whom heaven came down, who, who were brought into this story to share all of this together. We see Elizabeth and Mary, along with their husbands, Zachariah and Joseph, and their miraculous pregnancies, and their soon-to-be-born sons, John and Jesus, they are all forever connected in God's amazing story of bringing salvation from heaven to earth according to the ancient promises of God. During the events of Jesus' birth, that would follow, and then those things that happened in the days after that, we get a little bit of insight into Mary's spiritual depth. And, and, and these may be some of your favorite verses that I'll show you. Mary's spiritual depth, but also her gift, which, which so many of us lack these days. Her gift to be fully present in the moment and to not miss what God was doing in her life and in this story. Three different times, just as we're talking about Mary this morning, in Luke chapter 2, we see this about her. She treasured up all the things in her heart that were happening right after Christ's birth. This was when the shepherds arrived, and she meditated on them. And then later on, as they go to, to dedicate him, they, they both, both Mary and Joseph, they, they marveled at what was said about Jesus. And then when all of that time was completed in the temple, once again, his mother Mary, she, she treasured all of these things in her heart. She was fully present in the moment. She demonstrated this amazing spiritual depth. She did not miss the personal impact that all of these events were to have on her life and on her relationship with God. And Mary also wrote one of the most beautiful and theologically dense passages in all the New Testament. The last passage of Scripture that I want us to read this morning, it's the next set of verses in Luke chapter 1 we actually get record of Mary's song. The, the outflow of her heart as she's treasuring these things even before Christ is born. She is not missing what the Lord is doing. She is fully present and she is realizing just the incredible magnitude of, of what God's doing in her life, that this is not just for her and this is not just for her family and it's not just for her own people, but it truly is going to impact the entire world for the centuries that would follow. This passage, this song is called the Magnificat. Two weeks ago when we studied Zechariah, we, 
we saw his benedictus, his prayer when he finally was able to speak and he prayed. Mary's song, the Magnificat, is, is one of several examples of words that were written by faithful women of God that then God gave to us as scripture. You may remember from Exodus 15, Miriam's song. From Judges 5, Deborah's song. From 1 Samuel 2, Hannah's song, which sounds a lot like this one. Here in Luke chapter 1, Mary's song, the Magnificat. It begins, and Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. The, the first part of the song is deeply personal. It reflects that, that personal impact on her relationship with God that all of these things were having. But then the second part goes from the personal to that which is universal, which, which talks about the fact that, that this is good news for people from all nations. This is not just for one, but it's for all who would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And just like we said about miracles earlier, if you, if you struggle with miracles, then you're going to have to tear out some pages of your Bible. Please don't do that, by the way. In the same way, we can say that about a very popular word these days, the word justice. Monty Mowry mentioned it on, on the video a little while ago. If you're tired of the word justice coming up over and over again, then you're also going to have to tear some pages out of your Bible. Because the Bible has so much to say about the justice that God brings and that Christ is already bringing in the kingdom that he's establishing on earth right now. And Mary sings about it. Continuing on in verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Whenever you see that word mercy come up in the New Testament, it's the same word as the word that's translated justice over and over again that God's merciful loving salvation is also in the process though sometimes it doesn't feel like it of setting right everything that is wrong and only the gospel of Jesus Christ can truly do that on every single level so if we are people of the gospel people who have the good news of Christ to proclaim we proclaim the justice the righteousness the goodness that only comes through Christ's transfer of all of this darkness in the world that someday will become light. Mary's song is not just about the birth of Christ, but it's also about his kingdom. And she sings about God's promises for her people and those who would follow, including us 2,000 years later. She also sings about the fullness of Christ's kingdom, which will be complete after the second advent, when Christ comes to the earth again when he arrives once for all to finally set things right, to complete the work that he's doing in the kingdom 
he's establishing, where the lowly are lifted up and exalted to higher places, where those who are hungry are filled, and those who are self-satisfied will actually go home empty. Mary was called by ancient Christians the God-bearer, and she was. She was the God-bearer until Jesus' birth. And after his birth, she continued to be integral in his life as she nurtured him and helped raise him as a young boy. She was also a part of his earthly ministry. She was one of only a few who were present at the cross when he died. And she emerges among the first leaders of the early church in the book of Acts. But all of that comes back to that first moment where we see her when she receives the annunciation, the pronouncement from Gabriel. And her response is one of absolute surrender. When she hears this promise that no word of God will ever fail, is that a promise you need to be reminded of this morning, by the way, that, that no word of God will ever fail? Her response is, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? As we prepare our hearts in these last moments for a time of invitation and response, simple question for you to consider before I pray. Is your life right now one that can be described as in absolute surrender to the Lord's direction? As we sit here today, or for those of you who are joining us online, can you truly say, I am the Lord's servant, and, and the purpose, the goal of my life is that his word would be fulfilled in me. This invitation is simply an opportunity for you to, to take a step of surrender. And if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never believed upon him, this, this wonderful good news that he has come to the earth to make us right with God, that he did die for our sins, that he did defeat death by rising from the grave, then today would you, would you place your trust in him? Would you be willing to say for the first time, I am the Lord's servant. Today I commit my entire life to you, God. This is an opportunity for you to do that. And as I lead us in this simple prayer, in a moment, we're going to stand and have an opportunity for you to take that step, literally to step out today and to come to Christ and give him your heart and your life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for, for all of the fulfillment of your promises to people, promises to the nations that we still see being fulfilled before our eyes. And Lord, I pray today simply that each and every one of us would say to you, here is our whole heart and life in surrender. We are your servants. We are your people. May your word be fulfilled in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.